You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I'm really honored to be joined by Randy Woodley, author of the new book, Becoming Rooted, which is releasing here in just a few short weeks. Now, before digging into that conversation, I wanted to share with you for a moment about our Patreon page. This is a space where for just a few dollars a month, you can help support the podcast, the ministry, and gain access to some really cool exclusive content that we release only in that space. Guided practices, live events, special series, and more. We've gone through Revelation, we've dug deep into Psalm 23, We had a special series for Advent, and we have a really cool prayer series coming up in January. So for just a few dollars, friends, you can gain access to all of that. It's a really cool sort of intimate space where we go deeper with a lot of the things that we talk about here on the podcast. And as a bonus, you help keep the microphone on. So friends, thank you so much for being with us here today. I hope that you are blessed, challenged, and encouraged by this conversation with Randy Woodley. Randy, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Such an honor to get to talk with you today, to have a little time to spend. Great to see you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So for those of you listening who don't know who Randy is, he recently released a book called Becoming Rooted. Randy, can you share a little bit about who you are for people who may not have read some of your books in the past or know a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah. So the the book uh, is released on January 4th, and uh, uh, so we're going to be asking people to join along with us in a read-along for 100 days, but I guess we can talk about that a little bit later, but I just want to give people an incentive there. Um, my wife and I, Edith, uh, are both uh, indigenous earth tenders, and um, we've been in, oh, I would say the the spiritual care of people and mentoring and those kinds of things for uh, over 30 years anyway. Um, Our vision is uh, we're at a place in the foothills of uh, the coastal mountain range in Oregon, uh, Yamha, Oregon. And we have a a, a, a organization here and a place called the Elahe Indigenous Center for uh, Earth Justice and Elahe Farm and Seeds. And that kind of uh, uh, explains a little bit about what we do. And we mentor folks. We uh, have uh, people come in for schools. We do cohorts. We also grow things. We grow seeds, obviously, um, and uh, vegetables and uh, have a farm, a very active, a large, diverse farm where we grow open pollinated seeds. And uh, and then uh, we also have a, a a place where people can come and learn. And we've only established this place. This is our third iteration and final iteration uh, of Elahe. But, um, you know, kind of a long story, but uh, we started in Kentucky with 50 acres. We were um, basically, we lost it due to violent pressure from a white supremacist paramilitary group. I lost everything, moved to Oregon, started again on a small three plus acre farm and then eventually sold that so that we could get a larger place with more lenient zoning so that we could have the community 
uh, in the schools and the campground and things like that that we, we uh, had originally envisioned. And so since we get our learning center finished, we'll be having uh, winter schools as well. Um, but we also are a formation community where people come and mostly gather around a monthly sweat lodge. Um, that's a Native American spiritual ritual. And my wife and I have both been running sweat lodge for over 30 years. Um, and uh, in a sense, I guess you'd say that's our church. Um, and we are uh, extremely uh, happy to host people constantly coming in and out of our place. Now, with a little bit of caveat that during COVID, we haven't been able to have our sweat lodge and we haven't been able to have so many people in and out of our place. But basically what we do is we host folks. And then the other thing that, uh, um, that I do is I'm a professor at uh, Portland Seminary and professor of faith and culture. And I teach and basically I'm uh, sort of working my way down from that spot uh, to do this full-time. So in another year from now, I'll just be full-time doing Elihe. So kind of explains a little bit about what I do. My wife and I are co-sustainers in this whole project and, and have been for all these years. And so, uh, yeah, but if you boil it down to what we do, I guess it's hospitality more than anything. So, so just a couple of things, you know, not, you, you have lots and lots of free time. It's, it sounds like that's, that's some really, <laughs> that's some great important work. I know that one of the things surrounding hospitality is the connection and the importance of community. And as you were sharing, you know, you mentioned that within the space of COVID, you haven't been able to do some of those things like the sweat lodge and, and such. Have you noticed how have your feelings, I guess, changed as maybe the connection to community hasn't been as great? Have there been other ways that you've stayed connected as a community? Is there a sense of something missing? I'm just curious when something is so central as it is for many of us, what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's been a piece of um, our spirituality that's been missing because of that. Um, it's difficult to... Um, uh, I, I, it would be easy if I were a Western thinker, perhaps maybe a really Western thinker and individualistic and everything I understood was about my spirituality was individualistic, but uh, we're not. We think in terms of our community and uh, the common good for our community and, and even just having like, you know, all these, usually we have all these spare fruits and vegetables. And we just started this place 18 months ago, by the way, but we're, we're starting to, we're getting a lot done here, but, um, uh, but, but the, the abundance that the earth produces under these kind of circumstances, we use indigenous, traditional indigenous knowledge and permaculture and biomimicry and, and uh, the earth wants to produce this kind of abundance for us. And so even like finding a place to take all this extra food that we can't use and we preserve a lot. My wife cans probably three, 400 cans a year. Um, of uh, food, but, um, but yeah, getting it out to people. So when people come here, we load them up with stuff, you know, it's like, uh, usually our community meets and we're like, Hey, here's some boxes of food, take what you need, you know? And, and uh, so that's missing. Um, and, uh, but on the, on the other side, conversely, uh, it's enabled us to get a whole lot done. Uh, we started this farm from scratch and uh, we've gotten a lot done in the last 18 months. So, yeah. 
Yeah, the space it's created to, that. to focus on that that other aspect can can be good. But right. you know, that, that's one of the things I appreciated working through the um, becoming rooted book was this the consistent focus on the connection of absolutely everything. And I would like to spend a lot of time sort of talking about creation because that that's one thing that as I've sort of been reading um, indigenous authors and talking to people like Terry Wildman, you know, just the, the honor of creation and the listening is so central, but on the sort of just human to human aspect of it, as you were talking about not having as much of a Western mindset where there might be, you know, more of an individualistic understanding, you know, one of the things I was hoping to get your insight on was the, how maybe an indigenous worldview might understand and look at social media. And now, um, I don't know if people are familiar, but Facebook recently changed their name to meta, you know, sort of for the metaverse things. And obviously not just to say a bunch of negative things about social media, but one of the things that it does seem to be doing is maybe for me, at least it connects me in some ways really deeply with people I couldn't be connected to because of where they live. But it also seems to be sort of taking me out of the now so frequently mm -hmm. away from the flesh and blood people around me. So is that something you've been sort of wrestling with or your community been thinking about and trying to sort of work through? Yeah. So of course, uh, we're all zoomed out, right? I mean, <laughs> of course. Uh, but there's been some advantage to that. I've been able to like go to Australia and go to England and go to New England and go to, you know, all these places that I don't have to travel to. So that's been nice. But there's also a sense of um, there's a chemistry when people are face to face. And I mean that literally. I mean, if you ask a quantum physicist about, you know, us sharing the same room and the same breath and the same, you know, uh, you know, our, our um, subatomic particles are basically interacting with one another. That's how we're created to be. And I, I think there's something uh, that lacks the intimacy uh, that we were created as human beings on the social media side. Now, you know, it's the best we can do right now. Um, but the other thing is that, um, that I should mention is that it's made me even more aware um, of what I call the community of creation around me, that we're never alone. We have the birds and the coyotes and the deer and, you know, the rabbits and the quail and the hawks flying overhead and the insects and the plants. And, you know, we're part of this great community of creation that uh, creator has given us to live in and to have reciprocity with. And so there's really no such thing as us being alone or without our community. Uh, we just fail to recognize that sometimes. And this, this COVID period's um, given me some extended time to think about that as well. Yeah, I love there's one, one of the little, because your book is broken up into these 100 little um, reflections with an invitation to a practice. And in one of them, you said, when you look at a tree, do you see only that tree? Or do you see the forest, the soil, the birds, the animals, the air, and the humanity connected to it? If you see only the tree, chances are it will become an object to you. If you see the tree as a part of a family, it becomes your relative. That, that stood out to me. Can you sort of take us deeper into that thought process and, and sort of what that invites when we can begin to see the interconnectedness of everything? Yeah. 
Well, we can do several things. We can talk about just going in, in, in forest bathing, <laughs> um, as the Japanese call it, um, in this setting out there and allowing the forest to exude what it does to make us feel better and to make us feel a part of things. But we can also look at science and we can look at uh, um, some of the newer books that are out. Uh, Song of the Trees is a great book, uh, How Forests Think. There's a lot of books that are discovering a lot of things about trees, their interconnectedness. They actually have a heartbeat. Each one has a different song, sound register. There's just so much that, that, that animate those to us as that are not objects, right? And so when we get, begin to appreciate the, the depth of spirituality that Creator has put in each plant, in each tree, and the way it takes care of us, and all of those kinds of things, that, that if, we, um, if we were to do anything to get us closer to God, uh, it, I think it's to become a better relative to all the things around us, like a tree in our yard. Now, does it have the same sort of um, purpose as human beings? No. Human beings, are our, our purpose is sort of the ones who can caretake uh, for and co-sustain all of those things. And when we use them, uh, for example, I was always taught, you know, when you harvest a tree, uh, that's your relative. And so you say, thank you, right? And you say, I'll use you in a good way. And so it reminds us to be grateful for everything that we take from the ground and the way that we use things. And so it creates a life, uh, a lifestyle of gratefulness and spirituality. How does one go about cultivating something like that? So someone listening may think, man, I've never heard some of those things put together or I've heard it, but I don't know how to sort of make that the, you know, how do I get the eyes to see? Yeah. So I think the, the first chapter in the, of the hundred chapters is uh, silence. And I think it starts by going out and just learning to be silent and to be comfortable with that silence. You know, I, I uh, have taught over the years a course called Theology and Ethic of the Land at uh, Portland Seminary. And uh, one of the things that we do in that course is we go out and we spend a couple of nights out in a campground. And, and I ask people to go out with just a, a little notebook and a, a pen um, and um, no electronic devices uh, and uh, to just sit in silence for an hour. And I used to think, oh, man, what if they come back and everybody goes, oh, I don't know. I didn't share anything. You know, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. I don't know what to share. But you know what? The exact opposite happened. People came back with so, and every time this happens, they come back with so much to share. Oh, this is how God spoke to me. Or this is how I understood, you know, a flower differently or a bee or, you know, and it's like, this is, you know, nature creation, the community of creation, is our creator's um, uh, first and longest lasting. It's a lifelong educational adventure. It's our first education, and it's our longest lifelong education. And we ignore it most of the time, but that is what we are created for. And um, what it means to be indigenous to a place and I say we're all indigenous from somewhere in our epigenetics, you know, and a lot of us right now, I notice the, the ancestors are calling us back um, through our epigenetics and saying, you know, hey, 
maybe you need to get closer to the earth and maybe you need to understand our spiritual practices a little bit more than, than um, the sort of uh, two-dimensional look that people have generally had on cultures in the past. And uh, to understand that, um, that we were all created for this. This is not Native Americans don't have a patent on creation, you know, or understanding it. Um, all indigenous people everywhere understand that, that this is how God speaks. Nature was here before the Bible. Nature was here before Thomas Merton. Nature was here before, you know, uh, you know any of our spiritual teachers. Um, and, and nature is, is God's preferred way, I would say, to speak to us. I think that's so true. And I think it invites this sort of, you know, people are always, at least in our sphere of conversation, a lot of people ask, well, how do we get into that praying without ceasing type thing? Does that mean I've got to be talking to God all the time, always saying something? And there is something to these prayer practices and things, but you had this other line where you talked about, you know, just waking up and taking a drink of water or a bite of food. And you think about what you're eating. You understand the sacrifice made by the plant or the animal. Your life is connected to their death. There's a relationship with the food, the water, the people, all the wildlife. And it reminded me, I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh who talks about, you know, when you touch one thing deeply, you touch everything. So I, I could totally be misquoting him there. But that to me, is then a prayer practice. Like you're saying, people go into the woods and they journal and God speaks to them. Is that sort of getting us close? Is that sort of a, it's a lifestyle prayer, it seems like, when we can touch each thing deeply? Well, I, I actually think everything we do is a prayer. It's just that we don't recognize it as a prayer. Yeah. We're, we are either, um, you know, lifting uh, ourselves up to our creator and our community and all the thing, good things that, that God has put here, or we're doing it for ourselves. We're praying to ourselves um, and we're magnifying the, the things that uh, humanity has done that maybe even cause destruction. There's a interesting quote by uh, Mother Teresa. I, I think I have this in there too, but uh, the famous uh, 60 Minutes reporter, Dan Rather, was interviewing her and, and uh, he said, Mother Teresa, what do you... Uh, say to God. And she said, I listen. And he said, well, then what does God say to you? And she said, he listens. <laughs> and I think that's, that summarizes what prayer is. Um, it's, it's us and our creator listening to one another, listening to the signs around us, listening to the, the community of creation around us and realizing that Yes, we are a part of all of that. There's a reciprocity involved. And uh, if, if that is an accurate quote by Thich Nhat Hanh, then that's a great quote because, yes, we are uh, touching everything when we touch one thing. Yeah, sort of seeing the interrelatedness of it. And I, I appreciate that you mentioned silence. And in the book, you talk about the importance of listening. And listening is the first lesson of knowing. What does it look like when someone is is going into the woods to listen? Maybe maybe someone hasn't isn't a good listener. I know you, that used to be me, and I I'm still learning to listen. I think it's going to be a lifelong process. But if I look back at myself ten years ago and today, I, I like to think I listen a little bit better today. How do we grow as good listeners? Yeah. So listening 
is not just with the ears, right? There's a there's a, a a sort of a ethereal sense, I guess, that you would say that that happens a spirituality, um, spirit, you know. Um, and uh, if you're having trouble listening and hearing because your mind is too active, then listen with your eyes. Look around, look up, look down, see what's happening on the earth, see whose prints are there, see uh, the way things are growing. Um, ask yourself why they're growing the way they are. What happened on this land beforehand? Um, and then even read about it, inform yourself, and then go back and watch again. And uh, pretty soon, your watching, I think, turns into a listening event. Yeah, it's one of those things that I feel like is hard to sort of give um, a five-step process to as much as you have to just go, be silent, be present, pay attention, see what comes up. I mean, this to me seems like something Jesus did. He says, hey, look at the birds of the air. You know, he, he points to creation. He uses seeds. He uses... Um, trees to point to point things out he seemed to just be present in the moment able to listen and then sort of draw conclusions but not even for the sake of drawing conclusions in in what you were talking about there seemed to be just a love for the being itself not for oh because you're going to teach me something yeah yeah exactly it's it's not because that's that again that's an extraction mentality so yes, um, we are only extracting life lessons for ourselves, but still it doesn't, you wouldn't want a relationship with your spouse, for example, that where you only expected them to give to you, right? So that's not being a good relative. Um, it wouldn't be a good relationship. And so it's the same thing. If we, if we think of uh, creation as, well, what can I get from it? It's the same mentality or similar mentality to the people who are looking at a tree and saying, what's the board feed of that tree? Uh, the only importance it has to me as an object is what I can get out of it. So, um, no, there's a give and a take. And so part of what we do is to learn to give back to creation. And we need a lot of people who can give these days. Uh, they give of their time. They give by joining organizations who are protecting earth rights. Um, they give of their bodies when they stand in a protest line. Um, they give of their creativity when they come up with solutions that uh, um, need to be creative in order to sort of beat the system that is still in that extraction mentality. And so, um, uh, and, and then we give ourselves just in our own backyards to say, how can we make this a better place to the community creation around me? So, um, so yeah, there's a reciprocity involved for sure. It's, it's not, it's like, you know, I think um, the, this, how do I become a better relative is always on my mind. I have a Lakota friend who, who says that a lot. And I think about that a lot. How do I become a better relative? And this is um, whether it's with people or whether it's my backyard and the community of creation that uh, buzzes around or crawls around or flies around it or wherever it's at. Uh, how do I become a better relative in a relationship that's not just one-sided? Yeah. So most of the people listening to this conversation would probably in, in one way or another, and I know labels are, are very dangerous, but would in some way connect to the tr Christian tradition. Um, 
are 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 people in 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 your community and in uh, maybe non-Christian folks you know who are in the in, indigenous tradition are they shocked by sort of the Western Christian um, you know, lack of care for the earth and creation and not believing in global warming and, and those types of things? Is that kind of a odd disconnect? Well, it's weird, right? I mean, it's, it's weird to not think of yourself as a relative to the creation that God has given us. Um, but I think nothing surprises us anymore. Um, people will work for one reason or another, whether it's greed or a political ideology or something like that, will work against their own self-interest. And when we work against preserving the earth and giving the earth the rights that the earth deserves, um, we are working against our own self-interest. If not ours, we're working against our children's and grandchildren's and great-grandchildren's self-interest because, you know, uh, it's only going to be here uh, in function as well as we take care of it. We were put here. If you want to go back to, you mentioned the Christians and Jews, go back to the stories in Genesis. The idea of human beings be, being created lasts. So, so one camp would say, oh, because the human beings are the crown of glory and they portray the image of God. Well, you know, I, I, I don't think that's true. I think everything, uh, shows the image of God and especially communities because God is community. If you're a Trinitarian in particular. Um, and so um, the image of God is not such individual thing, but, um, but that whole story is uh, a way of looking at human beings as well. Okay. Now all of this great stuff is created. Now who's going to take care of it. And so human beings become uh, not dominators, that's not even the best translation of that word, but co-sustainers, co-sustainers with God in creation, co-sustainers with the rest of creation to make sure that everything is in harmony and balance and taken care of. And so um, uh, for us to um, be surprised at people who have perverted that understanding, uh, no, I think by now, some of us are kind of jaded, but um, no one's surprised at uh, how foolish, how foolish it is not to take care of our own earth. What, what might an invitation be to someone who, who, who's listening and just says, yeah, but it, it's not a big deal. Like what is maybe a, 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 an invitation to a step to begin to realize this interconnectedness, to begin to realize the importance of caring for creation? What's maybe a first step someone could take? Yeah. So, so it's a, I mean, would you say that about your own family? Um, well, it doesn't matter to me. They can take care of themselves, whatever, you know, I don't know if there's a cure for that except for, um, you know, extreme conversions, but, uh, um, so what would I say, um, is a first step? Um, I think uh, maybe experiencing things in a different way than you ever have. There's a there's a, a little psychology trick, right, called cognitive dissonance. Um, sometimes a, a counselor will tell you, oh, from now on, and you put your right shoe on first. Now I want you for a while to put your left shoe on first. Um, it, I want you to do things in a different pattern than what you usually do. And it creates this sort of like... Um, transitional place for us, this dissonance that we can go, oh, there's room now for different kinds of thinking. 
And so um, I would say the first step is to make yourself uncomfortable, make yourself, and comfort is this high American individualistic value, right? But um, we don't like to be uncomfortable. But if you can make yourself uh, do things differently so that you begin to think about things differently, read things that you normally wouldn't read, uh, people you wouldn't normally read from, um, hang out with groups and people that you really wouldn't normally do that. And something happens in our minds in that process. We begin to open ourselves up and say, oh, well, there's other possibilities. And so that's sort of uh, uh, one way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, I think, I think that's an important thing in, in all areas of our lives to become sort of seek discomfort some, a lot more than we seek comfort maybe. And that's a, that's a good way to grow in a, in a lot of areas in our lives. You know, one thing you, you mentioned throughout the book as well is the, and you mentioned it in what you were saying a few minutes ago, that everything in creation in some way expresses something of God. And when we've been talking about learning to listen to creation, you have some really great stories in your book about hearing from an animal or from an experience. Would you mind taking us into one of those? The one I was sort of hoping you might dig a little bit into was you were talking about learning the Cherokee language and learning a song. And ultimately, I think you were sitting by a river and you had these, this experience with these birds. Would you mind sharing that story? <laughs> well, uh, that, that's the kind of story that um, uh, people will uh, either go, wow, or I don't believe that. <laughs> I went, wow. So that, but, I, I uh, loved it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share that. Um, so I, I uh, wasn't raised in Cherokee country. I was raised as a, uh, having a um, Cherokee identity, um, but not around my people. And so I was not able to learn the language. I think it's, um, it was my great, great grandfather who last spoke uh, Cherokee. And, um, and so I've been around, uh, my, my wife and I have been around, she's a Eastern Shoshone, by the way. And we've been around um, people from all different cultures, our native uh, tribes all over the U.S. and Canada. We've, for four years, we just traveled from reservation to reserve to, to um, participate in ceremonies. And we had uh, people that we mentored and things like this and spoke at places. And, and so we got around uh, quite a bit. Um, I sang a lot of songs. I've been given a lot of songs in other languages. I knew a lot of basic little uh, words and in other languages, but, um, and, and I'd even taken um, uh, a, uh, a course, you know, in learning my own language, but it's very difficult to keep up when you, when you don't have other speakers around you. So, um, and trying to teach it to my children as well. But uh, I was feeling, I think, sorry for myself one day. I was pastoring a church in Nevada, uh, an indigenous church, and uh, we had a creek that ran behind the, the church a little ways back and, and uh, just took my uh, rattle uh, and, uh, and I went back there and I sat and I was sort of saying, kind of complaining to creator. I, I was saying, you know, why have I have all this opportunity among all these other tribes, but I don't even know my own language. I, I sing in all these songs in different tribes that I've been given, but I don't even sing in my own language. And as I sat there, I was sitting uh, by a Creek 
And it was a little kind of pond at a creek, a small pond. And there was a tree um, not far across on the other side. And all of a sudden I got some words and uh, uh, in Cherokee in a tune. And all of a sudden I started singing that. And like, you know, call it what you want, divinely inspired, whatever. Maybe it was the wind speaking to me, um, spirit. But uh, all of a sudden, I started in a Cherokee style, started singing a song with Cherokee words and uh, using my rattle. And I began to sing that. And as I began to sing that, um, a couple of small songbirds came over and landed in the tree. And, uh, um, uh, and then a couple more larger birds. And I kept singing and singing. And then a, a duck flies in and starts floating around the pond while I'm singing. And then next to my utter amazement, uh, a red-tailed hawk comes and sits there uh, in the same tree with all the other birds and nobody's flying away. Everybody's sitting there and they're just listening to this song and I'm singing the song. And I, and I just had this feeling that if I stop singing, everybody's going to fly away. And so I kept singing and singing. I must've sang for at least a half hour, maybe longer until my voice was just about given out. And and I finally stopped singing. And as I stopped singing, they all started to fly away. And, uh, and I was given a song in my own language. And uh, it was a very personal experience to me. But, mm. but um, that is not unusual when you're in touch with creation. Because, uh, of course, creator is going to speak through the creation. I mean, that's why it's there. We're all part of this system together. We're all in this together. And sometimes we have moments together that we can share like that. And so, um, yeah, for me, that was a very special time. Uh, it was a very uh, important time. But, but again, um, we expect sometimes creator to speak through other people, but we don't expect creator to speak through the rest of creation. And that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really, um, looking to expand my understanding of the Greek word uh, agalos for, for angel, right? Which is the same word that means messenger. And we see in scripture so many times, you know, it says someone had a vision or, or heard the spirit tell them or felt the spirit telling them something, but it doesn't really give us the details always and exactly how. And I think sometimes if we had been there, we might be more surprised than we might imagine as to what that messenger or who that messenger actually was. And I'm sort of opening more and more to the idea of that coming through things in creation that it can all reveal something. I mean, even scripture talks about, I think Psalm 19, right? Day and night creation is pouring forth speech and, and there's sort of the, do we have the ears to, to hear it? And you have other stories in the book about deer and eagles and and other things. And I think I would just encourage people if, if that does sound shocking to you um, to maybe do the practice you talked about of going in nature, sitting for an hour with a journal, listening. And I think the more we can learn to become present and listen, the more we might be surprised by what happens and what comes up and the feelings that we have and the thoughts that just spontaneously come. I think people might be surprised in a good way. Yeah, it, it's in a, in a sense, this book is number one, trying to, uh, I mean, my, my bottom line is to help people move from a Western uh, industrialized, dualistic, non-holistic, um, hierarchical, uh, competitive uh, worldview 
to a more holistic indigenous worldview because that Western worldview is not going to sustain us in the future. It's not going to sustain our grandchildren and great grandchildren and on down to the next seven generations. And so what do we have to do? We have to convert. Usually I take that on theologically head on, you know, I've got another book coming out uh, in April called uh, Western or indigenous theology in the Western worldview, where I sort of challenge that whole, the dualistic assumptions and uh, then another one later in the year, about mission, mission and the cultural other, where I'm challenging some of the, the hubris that goes into uh, mission. And, um, but, but this is one that I think is my most personal book, maybe besides my children's book, uh, Harmony Tree. But uh, this one is personal because what I'm asking people is to just walk beside me for a hundred days mm-hmm. and see if their whole worldview doesn't begin to change, to, to, to see from uh, at least one indigenous worldview for a hundred days and to, to say, I don't think of the world uh, the same anymore. I look at things differently than I once did. And so, uh, so I'm trying to walk beside people with this and, and then also help them um, reclaim their own sense of indigeneity, their own sense of, of learning from and with and to the earth, uh, their own sense of uh, relationship that has been taken away because of a Western worldview and industrialization and modernization. And to just say, you know, somebody, and I'm nobody, but somebody's given you permission to love the earth again, to love creator's creation. Yeah. To create a little space and to, and I, and I, and I love that this journey is from such a different perspective than so many people, because those different perspectives again can sometimes be what, is that shock, that catalyst to the system that all of a sudden allows us to see something from a new perspective. And, you know, at Rua Space, we're all about making space for spirit, right? Making space for breath. That's the very name of, of what we're trying to do here. And sometimes, oftentimes, I think that space creation is going to come from someone or a worldview or something outside of our norm, that today we exist in such siloed little areas. And, if you're looking to hear more of God's voice, you've, you're not going to, not that God doesn't continue to speak through what you know, absolutely. But if you're looking, looking for ways to go deeper, I think looking outside of what you already know and the voices you always listen to has got to be key to that. Yeah, I agree. So what, one other little aspect I wanted to talk about, because I really appreciated this was in, in your farmland, making space for animals and for others for creation. And it reminded me a little bit of like the, the tithing and the gleaning aspect of the Old Testament. Not necessarily that that's where you sort of got it from. But one of the things my wife is even doing at our house is trying to make it into one of those natural habitats where a lot of animals and, and things can live. Can you just take us a little into just for a minute, the thought process behind that and what the experience has been like to leave a little bit of land um, not to produce for you, but to simply be available for God's creation. Right. Yeah. So, so one of the principles that we think about here is we are um, uh, creating a farm and a, an indigenous center, a learning center, and all of those kinds of things is that um, we don't want to break nature. We don't want to break creation. We we want to, yes, there's something we want out of it, right? And so, and I think what we were made to do with humans is not to break it, to harness it, to conquer it, but to work with it. And so our idea is 
we like to say we like to bend nature uh, towards our means, but not break it. And so I think the earth is uh, perfectly willing to do that. It seems like a, a good practice. That's what our indigenous people have been doing. And we had to learn too. Right? I mean, all indigenous peoples, you learn by trial and error. Um, and so um, we bend nature towards um, what it is that we need. But in the meantime, we have to think about now, what does this creation community need? Um, they still need places to hide. They need places to skulk through that they're, they're not going to be in, out in the open all the time. They need food sources that, um, that since we put a fence up around our farm because the deer were not respecting our rights, <laughs> uh, we had to put a little fence up around all of our crops and things. And, uh, uh, and so um, in, in order to, for us to live together as a community of creation and not to chase everything out, we've just always said, how much land do we need? Um, and then what we don't need uh, should be a nature space, uh, should be a wildlife corridor, should be, you know, and so, for example, we, um, we set aside certain areas that are just for the wildlife, and we call those wildlife corridors, but, but in, in, instead of, like, burning all my branches that I move, you know, trees that don't need to be where we don't want them to be or whatever, um, we've created these long piles uh, so that quail and rabbit and other things can have, mice can have a home. And, um, and then uh, we have certain sections of our land that are just set aside for wildlife. And then we will create in some of those, not all of those, um, what we'll call a nature path, um, which will just be a small path with benches along the way. And we'll have signs up and ask people to be silent so that they can enjoy the rest of the community of creation. And we see, you know, that kind of um, thinking is rewarded constantly. We see deer and fawns. We see, um, you know, um, um, hawks. Uh, we've got this beautiful pair of winter hawks, these white hawks that fly over our place all the time. Um, we see um, um, quail. We see rabbits. We see, you know, we hear coyotes. We haven't seen any, but we know they're there. <laughs> um, uh, once in a while. And, uh, and, and so uh, all kinds of songbirds. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's just, it's the reward is the beauty that we get to experience, right? So we don't need everything. And I think this is a, a also a um, sort of a micro version of what society needs to do is to say, how much do we really need? Mm. And then how much do we want to store the rest of community of creation to get there? Um, and might there be some intrinsic value in leaving land set aside just for nature to enjoy? Yeah. Yeah. It seems that the less opportunity we give for nature to flourish, you know, we're, we're going to be missing something of God's voice even. So if you're thinking of it, even in those terms, Absolutely. You know, if we want to hear more from God, making more space for that. And, and I've seen that there, I think that this is one of the only places in life where maybe this, the field of dreams quote, if you build it, they will come actually is, is real, but you know, we've experienced in our yard, you know, if you build it, they will come, you know, if you bring native plants and you create that space, butterflies and birds and animals mm -hmm. will come. And then you're just invited to, to listen. Yeah. I have a great example of that, that I, that's not even in the book. Um, and, and that is out here, uh, one of the main plants was a plant called camas. And they have these beautiful purple flowers. 
And um, they were so abundant when the earliest uh, travelers came through, white travelers came through, they would look down into a valley. And this was originally an oak savanna. And that's what we're kind of restoring our land to is an oak savanna. And they would look down the valleys and they would think they were full of lakes. And then they would get down there and see that they were just the abundance of camas plants. And camas was one of the main, the very main um, food sources for the indigenous peoples here, the Kalapuyan people where I live in the North Willamette Valley. And, um, and so they're, but they're almost extinct. They, uh, they're very hard to find. You can't see them anymore because of development. Well, and so we, we actually started planting camas. I think we had some friends that um, they were going to doze over a parking lot that was full of camas in uh, a nearby town. And some really cool uh, millennial friends of ours went down and, and dug a bunch up and we planted over 500 camas here. But here's the thing that I was going to say is that in spaces, because we were here the first spring uh, when we first moved in and there were no camas. The second spring, as we began to clear some of the invasive plants out, guess what? Camas started to appear. Mm. And we were like, wow, you've been waiting down there all this time just for us to uh, sort of like make a space for you, right? Yeah. And so now we have these beautiful camas plants that appear in the spring. And, and uh, eventually when they're spread far enough, we may use some of them for food. But for right now, we just want them to continue to, to spread everywhere. So. I love that. I, that, that is the spiritual life. <laughs> like that, that is, that is so important being connected in those ways. I think that's a really great story. Randy, what is maybe a final word of encouragement or challenge you may offer to people on this journey? Yeah. So we're going to need to do something different than what we've been doing. Um, our politicians aren't listening to us. Um, our local governments aren't taking seriously uh, what needs to happen. And so the, the, on a personal, I'm going to talk about both a personal and a structural level. And, and because I talk about both in the book, it's not just personal. It's also structural. Um, on a personal level, we all just need to get out more, right, in, in creation and spend more time and be quiet and listen and see what we can learn and see how we can get back. Uh, on a structural level, um, we really need some giving back. And the fastest way I believe that we can um, preserve our earth that God has given us is if we will um, join an earth rights organization, um, support them, um, be there for them. Uh, and if we can give earth human rights the way that uh, Congress has given corporations human rights. You know, I think it's ironic that corporations have the rights of human beings and, and, but the earth in which the corporations rest don't even, doesn't even have human rights. So yeah, we need real. to begin to do that. Other countries have done that. Uh, there are cities now that have begun to, to do this. I think Pittsburgh, I think um, uh, maybe Malibu. I think there's a, a number of cities that are beginning to join in local government in state government and in federal government, we need to push for earth rights. And that's how I would encourage people to, to give back. Absolutely. I think those are two really good things to consider. Randy, where can people go deeper with everything you're up to? I know that you are starting this 100 day journey as a community. So we'll put some links in the description below. Where can we send people? 
Yeah, so a um, couple places. Uh, everything uh, we do just about is Elahe, and that's spelled E-L-O-H-E-H. And Elahe is a Cherokee word, and it just means abundance and um, peace. And it's kind of uh, uh, very much like the uh, biblical word of shalom, if you will, the large shalom picture. Um, but uh, so Elahe.org is our organization. And uh, people can go there, sign up for the newsletter, um, kind of see about what we're doing. Uh, RandyWoodley.com is a place they can go and order the book, uh, go to the new books section. Um, and then a, a little bit of the, we'll go back to us through Amazon Smile if you want to order it that way. But there's like uh, five other major places you can order from on that page. Um, so RandyWoodley.com. And then if you want to be a part of this 100-day journey or even just peek in once in a while because it's not private and it's not there's no cost to it, uh, we're going to do 100 days on this starting on January 12th with the introduction. And we're going to go all the way. It ends at Earth Day. And then at Earth Day, we're going to have a celebration here at Ayla Hay uh, for all who want to come and be involved and celebrate this 100-day journey. So on that, we will be having, uh, of course, Facebook posts and discussions and people can talk to one another and how it's going and what their practices have been like. And then every so often, I'll be on there. We'll do Facebook Lives and Zooms and things. And so we'll do this journey together. So I would encourage you if you're going to uh, do that. Um, so um, we're, we're just about the date, I think, of release uh, and uh, January 4th. So you need to pre-order the book if you haven't pre-ordered it. Um, to get it there uh, so that on January 4th, it ships out. And by January 12th, you have it. And then I'm also going to be doing some small group uh, training for those who want to lead groups, either with the 100 days or without the 100 days. I'll be doing some free uh, leadership training for group leaders. Um, and that you need to be on our newsletter list um, uh, in order to uh, to sort of get that information of when those training dates will be. So, um, Yeah. So that's a lot of stuff. Uh, um, you know, I've also written a whole bunch of books and a whole bunch of uh, magazine articles and uh, particularly Sojourners. There's a few important ones about creation. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then I've got a whole lot of chapters and other books. So you just Google me and you find me all <laughs> over the place. But, uh, um, but, but mostly you'll find me present right here. And uh, we'd love to see people, love to host people. Absolutely. Randy, I love it all. I highly encourage people to go check that out. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on today. This was an honor. I, I love the book. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you again for joining us in this conversation today. I do highly recommend that you check out all of the great work that Randy is doing at the links in the description below. And then when you are there, you will also see a links to a few other things that we have going on here at Rua Space, including our Patreon page, our Christian yoga memberships, as well as a space where you can inquire about one-on-one -on -one spiritual direction, where we will look at your story, talk about spiritual formation, spiritual discipline, disciplines, ultimately looking for the spaces where God has spoken and continues to speak in your life. So whether you feel like you are growing in your faith at leaps and bounds, or you feel a little bit stuck, spiritual direction can help you go even deeper. So I'd love to set up a free call to talk with you about what that might look like. So friends, thank you again for being with us here today. Until next time, grace and peace be with you. Mm -hmm.